1: it's that time of year again, tax time. And as you go over those taxes, maybe it will soften the blow to hear a few tales of how taxes have influenced the wine trade over the years. In 2500 BC, the Egyptians had a wine inspector who would go around tasting wine and determine the tax amount on the wine. Better wine was given a higher tax rate. Around the same time, Sumerian scribes were cementing into place the foundations of modern literature by etching tax records and historic records onto cuneiform tablets. Fast forward several centuries, and Charlemagne seemed to have things pretty well figured out by the 800s. He'd grant large tracts of land to monasteries for free, then he'd set up regulations that would tax their wine production and create ongoing revenue streams to the government. So instead of making fast money on an initial land sale, he set up his governing body with long-term cash flow. But one of the best ways to control taxes is through lobbying government bodies. Before the rise of nation states, this meant arranging royal marriages with other countries who would give the in-laws preferential trade treatment. A famous example would be the marriage between England's Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine. That marriage helped keep taxes low for Bordeaux exports to England, and many historians point to this relationship as one main reason why Bordeaux wine has been such an important product in British culture for centuries. But did you know that Henry II personally loved wines from the Mosul? So he kept low taxes on those as well. Merchants who stood to benefit from trade with Bordeaux would do what they could like sabotage their shipments. In Middle-Age England, they had a three-tiered system, not that much unlike the three-tiered systems that exist in many of today's modern countries. In this system, nobility could buy direct at ports and completely avoid customs. Wealthy heads of house could also buy direct at ports, but they got stung by the customs duties because they didn't have any noble blood. Everyone else mostly tavern owners, bought from middlemen who marked up the costs with customs, taxes, and profit margins. Tavern owners would counterfeit and adulterate wine to the point where the authorities had to step in and make some major changes. Thick's prices were published, merchants started writing the sale price on the cask of the barrel so that people knew how much it cost, and imbibers were entitled to be present in front of the cask when the wine was drawn to ensure they weren't getting counterfeit wine. In short, it was pretty good to be nobility, because they got the best wines for cheap, while the lower classes were taxed heavily for inferior wine.
2: Hey, that's not fair.
1: Kind of sums up the Middle Ages in general, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it really does.
1: But how exactly were taxes paid, especially if the ship's cargo had not yet been converted to cash? Well, a tax collector sent by the king would take one-tenth of the cargo on board, and they went straight for the good stuff. Right behind the mast is the best temperature-controlled part of the ship. It sounds crazy to have one-tenth of your cargo just taken, but at least they got the opportunity to trade. All this trade between Bordeaux and England was making other people in France antsy. Philip VI provoked British merchants, and through conflict, he threw trade routes, prices, and supply into instability from the mid-14th to mid-15th century. Things went south tax-wise for France after the revolution, Napoleon levied heavy taxes in layers. Everyone, in every step of the way, from making the wine to bringing it to market, was taxed. And cities and retailers got the worst of it. They paid extremely high taxes. It was a bit crippling for the wine industry. So much so that when Louis Philippe took charge in 1830, he was pressured to lower wine taxes almost 30% to ease the problem. So taxes on wine have been really a major factor in trade over the last several thousand years. And in some cases, tax-fueled debates have led to power struggles, war, and unrest. But taxes have also helped to fuel governments that have made important changes for wine around the world. And taxes are also something that unite us all, because we all pay them. Well, except for all those kings back in the Middle Ages.
0: It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And... That's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, -S 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 dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand.
2: Sasha Radakan on our show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Fine. Thank you. And uh, thanks uh, thanks for having me here.
0: Nice to have you here. So you're in northern Italy in the Friuli. And is the area known for one in particular style of wine or several different styles of wine?
2: There's for many years Collio was actually producing classic white wines. But now last, uh, we can say now last 20 years, the, the things change a lot. And they, it's quite well known for having this um, orange wine style. A lot. There's a lot of producers who use this kind of techniques. And
0: are those grouped up in a certain area, the orange wines producers, or is it more spread throughout the whole region?
2: It is more concentrated in Oslavia, where actually we have our winery. But there's even in, in Carso, even in, in, in a little bit around there, but the more, most concentrated part it's it's Oslavia. Then. Um, it's even because it's actually everything start there. My father was one of the first who start to do this kind of technique because he want to do something different. And um, after him, uh, there's a lot of people who start to use the same things, the same kind of techniques.
0: So he wanted to do something different. and how do you think that he came to the conclusion to do what he ended up doing, which was long maceration on the skins for whites?
2: The, the idea of long skin contacts for whites, it was happening in uh, my father started to think about this in 1995 and he did the, his first trying for the for, with, with Rebola grape. Um, there was different uh, ideas, different things who give him to this way and um, he say the idea was first was this that ribola jala have a it's a very nice grape it's used even for table grape and um, even now you can find ribola jala on the market of Ljubljana, and and then have a very thick skin have a very good flavor a very good taste but if you only press these grapes it don't takes out what what you want to um, you don't take out everything. And he just say decided to, to try to do the same thing we generally do with reds. Because actually, if you only press a Merlot, for example, you can have a light rosé. And if you do a long skin contact, you can find out some good wines like we know. The other side, it's that uh, it was not a, a really new technique. Because my grandfather was using this technique for... Um, but he was using for producing, generally, even white wines. And his reason of using this technique was, was two. The first was that he don't know a lot about sulfur. He don't have money to buy sulfur. sulfur, And uh, he knows that if, if he's doing some skin contact, the, the wines will stay stable for a longer time. He don't need to sell wine. He just needed to, to drink it. He need wine for a year.
0: He was making wine for the family.
2: Yeah, for the family, exactly.
0: And mm-hmm. he needed to drink, he needed to make a wine that he could drink over the, in the course of a year because he might not buy wine from other people.
2: Exactly. That, that was the idea. And this was one of the things. and the second thing was that he wanted to if, if you have to press by hand, you have if you press fresh grapes, they are it, they are a little bit harder to press. If you do some skin contact, the, the skins became more softer and uh, they they became uh, it, it's easier to press.
0: I see. So because Robola has such thick skins, it's it's actually a, a difficult thing to press if you don't do skin contact.
2: Exactly. That's it.
0: And in fact, you guys do punch downs uh, early on in the fermentation for the Robola and you Stanko, your father devised a mechanical device to do those punch downs. Is that also because the skins are a little tough to push down.
2: Like a Ribola it's the, the most harder to push down. But the, the mechanical thing, it's, uh, it's a small help, but it's a help because if you have uh, 10 watts to push down uh, four times a day, can be can be quite hard. And then at the end, if you work after 10... The last one, it will be done a little bit more faster, and then it is not good. Then the, the machine can just work all the time the same way. You are only, you are still there manually. You have to do it, but uh, it, it it is a help. Just, just that's it.
0: And is there a connection between the maceration and the use of sulfur?
2: There is a connection between. Uh, it is, um, I think that uh, my father was one of the <clears throat> pioneers for the no-sulfate swines, and uh, he was trying for many years, even before of the skin contact. He lost part of productions for a few years. I can remember 1991 Tokai completely lost because of this of this trying without sulfur. and um I think that when we do the start to do the skin contact, we see something little a little bit more interesting because actually during this skin contact, we extract a lot of tannins, and these tannins. Can really preserve it's a natural preservative for the wines and then it's actually we don't think that is the only we don't think that doing without sulfur it's it's better or or, or not but we think that without sulfates if, if if you don't if you can't use it it's better that's it it's not um, we really don't need this to add sulfates because we we had the, the wine is stable by himself have enough tannins to be stable and uh, at the end that's that's what we we need
0: so walk me through the vinification of the red wines that you make versus the white wines that you make or the orange wines i should say how are the the processes different for merlot and pignolo than robola and tokai
2: i think that the white grapes they are they can stay on the skins longer because uh, they can extract a little bit more tannins because the tannins the white grapes have uh, they are more gentle, they are more good even. And if you do the same kind of skin contact on the on the reds, you will have more too much probably too much tannins. And then the, the skin contact for the whites, it is between two and four months. What it means is that actually we have all the fermentation, malolactic, alcoholic and malactic fermentation, and then after that period uh, we leave the skin still in contact with wine. Not with sugar or with. Uh, then you actually at the end you have double extraction. The first part, the first phase, it's where the fer, we have the fermentation. You have the temperature. You have uh, the mechanical thing because we are doing the punch down. And after that period, we have a contact of the wine with skins. Wine is extracting different things. It's extracting the biggest part we extract is the tannins from the seeds, a part of the tannins from the seeds. Then this is the the thing that we can extract these tannins but f- to extract that tannins you have to have the, the grape really ripe. For the red grapes we do a shorter skin contact, it's more or less a month, a month and a half and because it's actually enough and uh, we still have a part of contact with, with alcohol then we still extract a little bit of uh, tannins from the seeds and then we, we just press the, the grapes and we go to, to, to for the wood aging.
0: And what about that aging? Are they different for the different
2: red versus white? The aging for us it's different but it's it is it, it is different because we don't have enough grapes or red red grapes to fill up one of big barrels we are using for whites. And then this is why we are using the barriques, uh, but we are using very old barriques. We are using barriques that have from 15 to 20 years old. Because we don't need any tannins from the from the wood, we just need to evolve the wine from to to have this evolution, micro-oxygenation uh, from the wood. For whites, we do this in big oak barrels. Uh, they are between uh, 30 and 35 hectoliters. Then they are quite big, and uh, and this is neutral Slavonian oak. And how long do they rest in the, those? The whites stay in in um, in wood for four years now, and uh, the reds for five years, because we think that uh, with the whites we have to arrive to the. I think they they they, they are ready before, you know. Then this is the the um, the thing that we want to be, and after that we are doing another two years of of bottle aging before to before we release. And this is even why in this moment we have the all seven on the market.
0: And you said that you need to pick the grapes fairly ripe. Do the picking times change vis-à-vis the grape variety? Do you pick the Robola before or after the Merlot?
2: We are doing actually all the whites before. Uh, it is We have Pinot Grigio, we have uh, Tokai, Chardonnay, and all the things. And then we generally stop for a few weeks. Then we start picking. It depends at the end. It depends. Sometimes we pick up the Merlot before, sometimes we pick up the Ribolla before, um, before it depends, you know, it depends of the of the vintage how it goes, but both are, are picked up very. Um, it can be for a few days of difference, you know. Then we actually start picking Rebola and Merlot after October, after ten of the, of October, somewhere there. Uh, there's not actually every year is different. Every vintage is different, and it's it's possible to say a dead date, but it's generally after October after October comes.
0: When you do bottle you use a special sort of bottle that your dad helped design and what does that bottle seem like
2: bottle is it's um it's an idea it's a question to the cork producers we ask them which is the best cork and they say we have the best cork but you can't use it because it's uh, it's thinny, it's it's too small for doing um, a classic white wine cork and then we say but how much is thinner? I say you need to have a 15 millimeters neck to to use that kind of cork. And Then we go to the bottle producer and say, can you can you do this, the the bottle with 15 millimeters of um, of um, neck? Yeah, why not? And then we we reduce the neck and we go to the liter size bottle. We go to liter size bottle because actually we have um, the proportion by the cork and the wine. Is the same like in the Magnum, because with thinner cork and liter size, the proportion is it's like the Magnum. Then in the Magnum is the best aging for white for wine, but it's quite difficult to sell for white wines. Then you have a liter size which is easier to sell, and uh, you have the best aging. After that comes the half liter, and um, because sometimes one liter one person can be a little bit too much, and. Mm-hmm that's how the things change. And when did that style of bottle get implemented? Uh, with the vintage 2002 then it was 2004-2005.
0: Talk to me a little bit about the different grape varieties that you grow how does the Pignolo differ from the Merlot and how do both of those differ from the Pinot Noir that you also?
2: Merlot it's that it's the, the red grape variety uh, who my father or my grandfather planted. my father uh, keep planting. It was for my opinion for many years the only red variety we can grow then we discovered this pinot noir when we planted because we actually no one has it before and uh, we just want to try and which is very complicated because it's it's very difficult to produce a good pinot noir in in our region Uh, even if we have um, we have a lot of rain we have a lot of um, quite a complicated season. It's a quite complicated season during the harvest. And, uh, it's sometimes it's very difficult to, to have a good grapes from Pinot Noir. Then we just produced few vintages of, of, of Pinot Noir, really. The Pignolo, it is, uh, it was a discovery of my father trying some good Pignolos. And, um, he said this can be a nice thing to plant. And when we start planting, it was, uh, a discovery. Strange discovery because it is very complicated vine to grow. It is difficult to have a real pairing with with the rootstock, and uh, sometimes you have a big, um, you have very big vines, but they never really attach the rootstock, and then it's quite difficult. Sometimes you have a big vine, a good, you see, you see healthy vine, but there's no grapes on it. Then the production it's really discontinuous. Then this is the, the, the Pignolo, it's now starting to be interesting because it is very difficult to produce but when you have the grapes in the cellar, you can be really happy because the flavors have the grapes during the fermentation, they are crazy and we are sure that with the, the right aging, we can take them these flavors back. We are planning a, um, a coming out of a vintage of Pinot Noir and Pignolo for probably next year. It will be the 03 and 04 all three of Pinot Noir and o four of Pignola, probably, then we'll see.
0: What about the differences between the white grape varieties that you grow? How does Tokai differ from Ribola, for instance?
2: The Ribola, it's, as I told you before, it's one of the biggest. Uh, they have a very thick skin. It's very good grape. It's a lot of flavors in the grape. And the, um, it's the, that we plant in the nicest part of the vineyard needs a lot of sun and it's a really nice exposition. You never can plant the uh, ribola at the bottom of a hill, you have to plant at the top, because it needs a lot of sun. Uh, Tokai, it's more it's more like a Sauvignon, then it tastes very well, even at the bottom, that don't needs a lot of, of sun to be ripe. And um, it is a nice balance between the, the two grapes. It's it's the stokay. It's the more green, I think, and the ribola is the more yellow because even if it's ribola, gialla, yeah, jala means actually yellow. And what about the Pinot Grigio? The Pinot Grigio, it's um, many people say that actually in Friuli now it's it's really typical because it's actually planted everywhere, and it's one of the nicest um, varieties to plant because it's the first being ripe. It's then the first you pick up. Uh, first days of september sometimes and uh, it's very easy to grow because it's producing a lot it's very easy to um, it they have not big problems with the, with the growing and with the vines are actually good um, it is a part of our culture even to have pinot grigio planted because we actually um, even my father all, all the time plant some pinot grigio when when we have a, a vineyard probably the next vineyard we plant will be Pinot Grigio because we we actually need some more even because now i have these new things these new wines which is a part it's one of this for my my personal two wines it's Pinot Grigio then and uh, it's it's lovely The people like it then we we want to plant more more vines to have more wine because we don't want to produce more grapes on the same vines. We just need more vines. That's, that's the thing we are keeping the production very low because we can't have more than four to five clusters on the vine because our region, it's, it's quite complicated for the, for the rain. We have more or less 1,800 millimeters of, of rain per year, which is probably too much for everything you know and it's we are the most rainy uh region in italy and if you think that in sicily they have 300 millimeters they they need five six years to have the same the same quantity of water and we don't have problems with dry um farming because we have the opposite problem and then it's uh pinot grigio it's it's really interesting because Uh, have this particular color even for this kind of skin contact wines it gives this nice color this like rose color uh, which is which is very nice and uh, and then i think that uh, it's it's a nice variety for us it's it's working very well it's a bit more easy sometimes we like to plant even some more easiest varieties and what about those wines that you're making for yourself the
0: pinot grigio and the slatnik when did you start those and how are they different than the wines your father started to
2: make when i started to 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 do this wine was vintage was 2009 when i started to start to think about it it was somewhere in 2005. Uh, it takes me a little bit more time to arrive to the compromise with my father too and we have to speak a bit more to produce this kind of wines and it was actually my personal idea uh, I want to produce a wine can be an introduction to the people who start to drink orange wines. And um, the second thing I want to go back, because when my father started to do the orange wines, it was 1995, I was a little bit young, and I, my mind was not in the vineyards, it was everywhere, but not there. And I really miss a part of this, his production on the first, first vintages, and uh, and then i i just think that i want to go back to understand better what he see in that wines and and then i decide to go back to that 10 days of skin contact where he starts and then it's this is the the thing i want i want to do something like like even more easy to the people to to understand and even, even an introduction for this world of wine because it's actually something really new it is something different it's not white it's not red it's somewhere in the middle then I just speak with few people in in even in these days, and they told me it's something different. Yeah, okay, you have to learn everything from the base. And uh, now it's uh, these two wines are Pinot Grigio and Slatnik. It's Pinot Grigio because I want to do something different with my father. Then my father never did a Pinot Grigio by himself with skin contact. Then something we can be mine. And the Slatnik it's uh, it's a blend of Chardonnay and Tokai Friulano. It was an old blend my father. Start to do at, at the beginning of his uh, history of his uh, winemaking, and uh, he stopped doing for doing Oslauia because he we we, we have a, an, a big vineyard of Tokai near the house, but we need to we, we have to plant it because it was the, the hill comes down because of the water, and then we have to replant something. You different. had a landslide, yeah the, la- yeah, the landslide, exactly. What year was that? Uh, was in 1992 and then he stopped doing that that wine from he'd never plant tokai again and uh now we we have it because we we have on brand some some more land with tokai and we ju- i just want to go back to this this idea to produce a wine that he made years before because what's planted near the house now is, is mostly merlot right In that the parcel that that's... the parcel now it's it's planted with merlot yeah because it was a nice place to plant Merlot. because it's a nice exposition. Uh, one of the best hills we have in, in Oslavia. Then it's one of really the best places to plant Merlot, uh, who needs a lot, of, a lot of sun.
0: Maybe we should talk it through a little bit in terms of timeline, because there have been so many changes at the winery over the years. When does your dad take over the winery?
2: My dad take over the winery in 1976. For a few years he just produced some wine to sell to the local restaurant in Gorizia. He produced the wine and he sell like open wine. And in 1979 he decided to to bottle his first first wine. And uh, then he, actually that was a, the 70s, was a period of the techniques of the stainless steel, uh, filtered wine and all these things. And my father actually fell in this in this trap, in this in this thing, and he buys stainless steel, he buys a uh, filter, he buys some machines. And uh, he was doing some just classic white wine for a few years. Then he go a little bit to the barriques, the French style wines with new oak, but not very new because uh, for us, the barriques in that period, they cost a lot. And it was very difficult to find good barrels, And then he, he go, actually, that in that period of bariques, we uh, he started thinking about, about big oak barrels and these things. And in 1995, he started to buy again these barrels, big oak, because we think that this is the right way to produce in our region because it's even more traditional. It, it is more complete. The wine can be aged but not over oak. And, uh, and then in 1995 was the same the big change because of this for his first trying with with ribolla and then half of uh, our ribolla was with skin contact but only a part was bottled uh, like pure and the other part was mixed with some with the other half of Ribola to produce a wine which was actually half and half 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 skin contact and half no skin contact and in 1996 we have hail then we don't produce any wine In 1997, all the wines go with skin contact. And then every year we change a little bit. Every year we change the skin contact uh, period. We try. We try every year something because it was something really new for us. And uh, we try one week, two weeks, one month, three months, and then six months, a year, and everything can stay in the middle. And... After a few years, we decided probably that three months or somewhere there, as I told you before, between two and four months, it can be a nice period to be to have on, on the skins.
0: You have vineyards today, both in Slovenia, that are your grandfather's vineyards, and in Italy. Is there a difference between growing in one region versus the other, or should I sort of understand them viticulturally as sort of the same region?
2: It is exactly the same region. We have my grandfather, was born in maybe two kilometers from the house where we live now, where we have the cellar, but it was actually a different country. And it was not only a different country, it was actually because the border was there in, in between Italy and at, at the moment was Yugoslavia. There was a big, um, big trouble because it was actually the border between the east and the west of the world, not only of. Of Italy. it was something very really different then uh, it was not easy to go from one side to the other side. We had the particular documents to go to the vineyard of my grandfather and uh, you need to be have a, a particular paper to work in the area in, in 100 meters near the, the border and they actually it was i still remember that before yugoslavia falls it was a people uh, from actually the military people who are watching at you when you work there uh, i know this many years after because some 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 of my friends know some some of these military people and they say and these this these guys say we stay Covered in the in the um, in the forest, look at you all the time for eight hours a day. No way, like yeah, camouflaged that's... in the forest, like yeah, not they, just standing there, yeah. not like sitting in a car, like watching you. No, 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 no. It was camouflage in the forest, and we know this after ten years after then. Uh, we really didn't know that there was people who who look at us. But when you are working in this part, there was scary that the people from from Yugoslavia tried to go. On the other side of the of the border, and run somewhere, you know, and uh, then this is the, the the story of this this part of region. It was really devastated by the World War One, and the, have has big problems in World War Two. Then at the end, the, the land was exactly the same. There was just a pen who ride the border, not not. Uh, it's div- the land is completely divided even gorizia where the, the, our nearest city it is actually divided half and half that's half in, in in slovenia now and half in italy then now the border is open there's no problem but that's that was the the thing and what kind of devastation happened after world war Two? the biggest problem was the people Who lived there? They was taken out, um, sent to the lagers, or sent to the the war, and uh, then it we 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 miss uh, in that period. You miss the the people. Uh, My grandfather lose his parents when he was five years old, and then uh, it was quite a big thing.
0: And what's it like today in terms of planting vineyards in this, in this area? Is it easy to find plantable vineyard land for sale and to plant it? Or is that more difficult?
2: It's difficult to find good places where to plant because actually all the best vineyards are already planted. And if someone have a good vineyard or it's difficult to, to buy it because the people don't want to sell or something or the prices became crazy. What's
0: the relationship between the different growers? Is there strong ties between the different producers of orange wines or are there divisions within the community?
2: Uh, with some, it's very, we are very friends and we have, there's a good connection with Anna, some others. We have no big connections. It's like for everything. <laughs> what about the reception in the market
0: for orange wine? You said it's a new process in many ways. What was the
2: response from the customers, both in Italy and abroad? We start to do orange wines when when they are not known. And we start to speak about them. We start to speak about the grapes. And um, we are trying to put all the grapes in the wines. We start to um, teach the people about about this kind of wines, this kind of uh, new generation of, of, of wines. And slowly, it takes time. Uh, we arrive to the period now when the people start, if you say orange wines or if you say skin contact wines, the people know what we are we are talking about. And uh, it takes for us a long time because it's actually, it's almost 20 years we are doing this kind of wines, then... It is it is quite a long time, but now it's. I think that people start to understand. Um, you have to be a little bit more open mind to taste this wine. You don't have to have this. Um, you have to be really more open mind to to taste them, and once you are free, you really can enjoy this this kind of wines. It's like to say. Mm. If someone is drinking only white wines all the all, all the whole life, never taste reds, you give him a red, probably you say no, it's not, this is not good. And it's the same for for the orange because it's something. But in this case, it's something really new. Then the people who don't don't drink orange, they say it's something strange and it's not good. But they have to taste it probably. Few more times to understand really what we want to say with with this kind of wines. I think that the the flavors we can have in the um, in the orange wines, it is more grape, more nature inside, and it's more complete because we actually don't filter. You don't take nothing out. You don't put nothing in. That's that's the thing.
0: Were there difficulties with the appellation in terms of Colio and getting them to accept the production?
2: Yeah, it was quite difficult for a few years. Uh, now they start to change their mind They they start to understand that the new wave of orange wines have to be accepted by them. And they takes it takes them 10 years to understand that something is changing, but uh, now the, at the end now they can accept even these more intense colors and uh, yeah.
0: In terms of consumers, if you purchase a bottle of orange wine and, and you bring it home for dinner, how should you handle the wine to get the best experience from it?
2: If you have a bottle of wine, just it, the important thing is to do not put it in the fridge because uh, it's like to put in a fridge a red wine. We say t- cellar temperature, but it's actually even apartment cellar temperature. If you think that it's a little bit warm, just Put some ice and for a few minutes, and you can have this. Uh, we say 55 degrees, uh, which is the right temperature to drink them. Uh, you can drink them a little bit cooler in the summer, a little bit warmer in the in the winter. But that's it. That's the idea. You can have a best expression of flavors, and uh, otherwise, if the wine is completely, freeze,d it's they it gives that just tannins and acidity and then it's not one of the best way to to taste these wines
0: and what about decanting do you decant sometimes or do you usually pour from the bottle
2: i generally pour for the bottle but i know that some people prefer to decant it it is just um, to have wine ready a little bit before um, i love to open a bottle taste a glass leave there a bottle for a few minutes then taste another glass and then uh, you have if you have a dinner, you have all the time to taste this wine maybe three, four, five times, just a little bit maybe. But and it's wine change all the time because it's oxygen, it's evolving a lot. Uh, these these wines.
0: And what about ageability? Do the wines tend to age well?
2: What we what I can say that 20 years we are doing now and the, all the wines we produce with with this method they are still very good. I think there's a period between eight to 10 years, which they, they express really the best. After that, they start to stay stable for a long time. You, we can open 99, we can open, uh, 97, no problem. 95, I had it just before I come to us, it was great. And yeah, you can really age a long time, like a red wine.
0: What changes with the age, what tends to change?
2: Uh, the wines became more uh rounder became more let you feel less tannins you feel less astringent it starts to take out a little bit more the fruit, and uh, it's giving you this the sensation to be very fresh which is quite strange but that's it so the wines taste a little fresher as they get older yeah fresher and fruitier yeah i think it's the age it's giving this to the to the wine you still have evolution you have Uh, a lot of things more. You have more evolved flavors, but I taste a lot of fruit when when it's older and kind of different fruits because maybe more dried fruits or something, but a lot of these things you can taste. What about terroir
0: in the glass? Sometimes people say, well, orange wine is a method that doesn't lend itself to the expression of the place that the grapes are grown in. What do you think about that?
2: I think that in... Our wines, and even in the wines I taste, I can really find the terroir. You find, uh, I always find the acidity, I always find the minerality of our soil. And for me, this is the most particular things about terroir. If I taste some orange wines from Carso, I feel that the Calcar, you feel that it's it's, it's from from more dry land, you feel that it's, uh, it's different. I think that the most important thing about terroir it is the land it is who work but we have a big influence to the terroir because um it's our dec- decision when pick up the grapes it is our decision when how what kind of fermentation we want to do and i think there's Somebody, some producer, some conventional producer, say, yeah, that you are losing the 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 varietal of the of the wines. Okay, if I'm losing the varietal, uh, probably the selected yeasts are killing the varietal. It's something really, really different because we have our method. It's our hand who works, and uh, it's giving these kind of wines. For example, if I give the, a part of our vineyards to another producer, we work in the same way. We produce the wine in the same cellar, in the same way, we will have two different wines. Because the hand, the decisions when to pick up, the decision how long to do the skin contact or not doing, it's it's a biggest part of the work.
0: When you drink the wines, what do you usually eat with them?
2: You can really eat a lot of things in these days. We speak a little bit about that and I think, um, there's many food, but the more strange food you can have with this wine, it is, uh, something like sushi or raw fish, like a tuna tartare or something else because everything is a little bit more strong fattiness. It is, um, it's filling your mouth very fast. Then you have a tuna tartare, you have a first bite, your mouth is completely full of this fat of the fish. There's only two types of wines you can drink with to clean that. It is orange wines because they have tannins and acidity, or it's champagne, like mm, sparkling wine, who have the acidity to clean, but that don't have the, the tannins then we have just the acidity. And the orange wine is the perfect wine to have with this kind of food.
0: So you think that the grape tannins in a white wine really changes the character of the wine, separating it from other styles of white grape production, or no?
2: The tannins are part of the grapes. I think it can be a bad if we lose a part of the grapes. Then the tannins are the, the it's a part of the skins. It's a part of the flavors it's a part of the taste of the grapes and uh, and then if you we try to separate the tannins try to, to do like only press wine without tannins there's no there's you are losing a part of of what we do we are doing a lot to have all this information on the skins because the skin is it's helping us to have all the information of the vintage have all the sun all the the rain on and lose this this information it's it's bad it's not good then it's for us it's very important to have all these things together. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to produce a wine because of these tannins but it's not a problem.
0: Because of the grape tannins you need to age a little bit longer in the cellar and release a little bit
2: later. Yeah, it is a part of this if you taste the wines just after the the harvest they look fruity but they have a lot of um, strong tannins and the aging in the or big oak barrels it helps to to fine a little bit these tannins and to the wine became more rounder more complete and more uh, less astringent to than it is a part. Is aging is very important for the for the for this kind of wines because yeah you cannot drink an orange wines with a long skin contact three months later the production it's not possible. It's I think you can but it's you are losing again a part of the biggest the nicest part of the wine
0: wines that are aged a little bit longer. Does that necessarily mean a higher price for those wines because you have to hold on to them longer before release?
2: I think the. Price of these wines can be, it depends. Everyone can can understand that his price have to be proportional to what he spent to do this. But I think our price, it's not giving by the aging. It's not giving by, it's a part, just a small part of that. Our biggest work, it's in the vineyards. We have to every year reduce the production. To, to have the perfect grapes. Because if you want to work without sulfur, if you want to work with healthy grapes, you have to have only a few bunches. If it's a quite a rainy vintage, you have to, at the end, when you pick up everything is with Botrytis, you have to discard, you don't have to use it. And uh, sometimes, like 2010, for example, we lose a part of production, we lose 35% of for because of this. But the only way to arrive to the ripeness was to leave the, the, the grapes outside. And leaving the grapes outside, it means Botrytis is there. Then It's doing some problems.
0: And what about clay? You don't use clay uh, to age, but some people do. Why wouldn't you use clay?
2: Mm, we just think that it's more traditional. For, for me, it's the traditional part. It's It's wood. It's something which is outside. It's breathing better. It's staying better. It's it's more natural thing for me. Someone it's using clay, but I think there's some positive things in that in that because it's actually the fermentation is happening underground and the temperature is more under control. Um, But except of this, I don't think the clay can can be influenced to the to the um, to the wine. We are not selling bars or what bars can give i think that once we we have to say if if we say that the the bar is giving the biggest part say okay we don't need to work but it's not real the biggest part is the grapes and the bar have to be something just to age it to respect but not to change it is something which happens years ago with bricks, someone think that you, you can put a bad wine in bricks and it became it will became a good wine. That's not real.
0: Describe for me the conditions of your cellar. It's subterranean, there's a, a rock wall. What's the humidity and temperature like in the area where you ferment and mature the wines?
2: In our cellar, I think that in every cellar have to be like this, but the temperature in the cellar is very important. And for my opinion, don't have to be stable during all the year. It has to change probably a little bit. Our cellar it's going between 10, 9 uh, Celsius during the, the winter. It's going to 16 or 18, sometimes 19 Celsius during the fermentation then during the after the, um, the summer. And this is very important because the wine, it's something which is real alive. And have to feel the seasons outside. If the wine don't feel the season, don't age, because it don't understand that something is changing. Then it's like it's like us. During the the summer, we stay a little bit more active, a little bit more powerful. During the winter, we try to sleep a little bit more. We try to stay more in, in the house. And the same is for the wine. In the summer, I have to move. I have to. Uh, evolve in the winter. Have to relax. You know, it's this is what what the wine the the, the the cellar have to do for wine, to be more stable during the year, but less less temperature than outside. It's got, it's less mm, moving of the temperature from outside can be good, but have to move the temperature have to move, have to be different in the winter or in the summer. We have this uh, in our cellar. It's almost. Uh, completely underground and we have this wall which is the uh, contact with the with our soil we have a particular soil called ponca, which is actually it looks like a rock but it's compressed clay this this wall is giving us the temperature control because it's it's a direct contact with the with the soil and it's giving us the humidity all the time which is important for the for the oak to be wet all the time because otherwise it will drink it will take the humidity from the wine
0: in terms of the vineyard practices you've been cutting back on copper sulfates in an area where there's quite a bit of rain by substituting a bee pollen substance and what is that substance
2: we use properly uh, which is a, a part of the bee product it's a bee product uh, it's it is something really easy it's something you can use when you are a flu you know and uh, it was quite traditional to use a part of this and and um, it is something really natural who helps us to reduce the the using of copper. The first three treatments we are doing only with this kind of products which is really natural and then we don't need to use copper. We are using only using copper and sulfur but we are all the time trying to reduce both in in using this kind of products and in using our experience. If it's a dry period we don't have any rain then the, the, the illness cannot grow, then that's it. We don't, we don't need to do the treatment. We try to reduce all the treatments at the minimum we can. In fact, the low production, cutting the grapes before the harvest and the green harvest actually helps us to do this. Because if you have only a few grapes, they don't touch between themselves. They don't touch nothing around it's easier to produce one of the important practices we do it to take off the leaves just after the flowering and this is giving more air to the grapes then can be more healthy
0: so that's probably part of the reason why you can't increase production on the same parcel
2: because you can't have more grapes because you're worried about rot exactly this is this is even why of the part of the why why we don't want to produce more
0: was there a tradition of orange wine production in Slovenia that maybe we didn't know about uh, in the Western world because of the lack of communication between the two countries.
2: There was, um, we find a book years ago who is speaking about orange wines in terms of, um, there was some farmers who are doing the wine with skin contact and some without. And, uh, this is a book of how to say the priest. Oh, okay. Like a monk, monk, yeah, like a monk, yeah. He was writing that when he go to different houses to to have the wine, to taste the wines, and to drink the wine because actually they go often around to the houses of the of the place. Um, He preferred the wines with uh, with the skin contact, and they are more alive. They are more good for him. This book was written in eighteen sixties, but it's written in an old Slovenian language it is very difficult to understand and there's no people who really speak this or understand exactly what they means. and then we still don't translate everything.
0: But what about the term orange wine? Do you like that term? Is that a term that you use yourself when you talk about the wines with your own family or do you not like the term or is there a better term?
2: It's not the best term we can use because sometimes when the people don't know about wine, they think, what is? It's a wine with orange juice or something, but it works. And uh, I don't really like it. I, for many years, I speak about skin contact wines, but now the people know that orange wines means uh, skin contact wines, then uh, it is easier. It is something to in in to find an an identity to uh, this group of wines Uh, it can be orange it can be amber it can be a lot of things but at the end orange now it's internationally known and then we'll keep using it uh, because it's it's easier to use it's not the best but it's not bad at the end
0: what about the different vintages that have been produced at the winery are there ones that you think are particularly good or that you particularly learn from or that you think are particularly good for a certain kind of grape variety or that maybe were particularly difficult? What are the standout vintages for you from Radicon?
2: For me, personally, uh, I have few vintages I like very much because it's even that maybe I can remember better because I start really to be in the production. And it's 2004. It is one of the, I think, the biggest nicest vintages you can... you can we, we produce and um, there's some like 07 I like it a lot and after that there's a few vintages more recent but it's difficult to say now uh, I think that I really love the 13 but it's really too early to say if the wines will be good or not because actually we do we did what everything we can to have a good wine and then it now it's the wine hook and the side uh, in which direction i have to go we can just control a vintage like
0: 04 is good for both the wines made from white grapes and the reds
2: the 04 was yeah probably a little bit better with whites than with reds uh, but in the vintages are all different but with the low production with the um, Control of the of the production of the of the grapes. You can try to find out good grapes every year, or sometimes, like as you told you before, in 2010, we lose a part of production. But I'm sure that what I we pick up, it was ripe, it was ready, and the wine will be good. This is a part of us. It's you know sometimes you are scary because it's raining. I don't pick up nothing. But sometimes it's better to have nothing. Or have a small production, good, than to have a big production, but bad. And then it is a part of us. I think that the the the, the, choi- the choice of the of the harvest it's very very important. Uh, you have to be the the grapes for these wines have to be ripe.
0: What about the differences from vintages a little bit earlier back, like 2000 and 2001?
2: That two vintages was for wine side taste one of the best vintages we had long for a long time. 2000 was like an instruction was that the, the grapes are really full of everything. It takes a little bit longer to arrive to the to the maturation, but uh, then the wines are incredible. It's 2000 and 2001 even we do this particular wine particular selections, uh, which are for me it's one of the best things my father ever do. The Foridal Tempo it's one of that uh, biggest wines my father ever do, uh, and it was the vintage 2000, and he did it in 2001 too. It was a very nice selection, uh, the best grapes, the really the best grapes, and uh, it was it was nice. But we, it was strange, but we harvest very late everything. Then, if you have time, if you have nice weather, no problem to have good good vintages
0: within italy i believe the 1990 merlot was quite famous in terms of awards did that affect your thinking at all uh at the winery you know of your father
2: yeah i know um, um, we speak a lot we speak a lot about uh, 1990 merlot it was one of the best merlot i ever do it is uh, probably one of the only biggest merlot he can he can do it was a, you know, that's the influence of the vintage, as a particular moment, particular way of, of production, which it's crazy. Even that grapes was crazy good. It was really different. than it. my father every time saying it, it happens. It was a vintage given by the vintage. It was yeah. Sl- that that's that's the part it's the biggest part was that in in that wine all the the the, the vines are very was very old. We have this particular vineyard which just produced few bunches uh, per per vine and it was really incredible to, to have this wine. It's difficult but it just happens and it was uh, I think the only wine I taste who have this fine uh, flavor of truffle, of white truffle. It's That's the quite characteristic for that wine.
0: Because now, because of the landslide, the Merlot parcels are often younger and in a different spot. Although really nice spot, has the character of the Merlot changed as a result? Is it a different kind of
2: wine now? It's the more or less the same, but the vines are very very younger. But the the vines we plant in that part of the of the vineyard it was the result of the reproduction of that old vineyard. We take the the vine material, the, yeah, vine material, and we produce these um, these vines. Then probably in the future, it will be better. It will be better all the time, and it's you know it's it's not really reproductible, An old vine, it's a, a young vine can can be can arrive near, but cannot be the, exactly the same, because the roots they have to go da- more down they. They take different kind of minerals. If the roots are more deeper and it's only time who give us you the possibility to arrive to that results.
0: Did you change up the training of the vines perhaps to combat
2: the rot situation when you replanted the slope closest to the house? We are trying to, to find the right way to grow that. And you probably understand that the ripeness of the grape for us is very important. And then we try to have all the grapes ripe together. Um, and in this case, a a particular kind of growing, which is actually an alberello, but made in the row. It is the best thing for having the, the same, the same kind of, of, of ripeness on the grapes, because all the grapes are the same distance from the roots and the same distance from the, from the leaves then you don't have uh, the first bunches ready before than the last, you know, that's everything is ready together. and this is, this is why we we choose to use this technique of, um, it is like an alberello at the end.
0: You've traveled all around the world on behalf of the wines into different markets, whereas your dad is thought of as somewhat reclusive and doesn't often leave the area that he lives in. Have you found the wines to drink differently in different parts of the world that you make?
2: yeah, this is an interesting thing. I cannot uh, explain why, but uh, when I come in US and uh, in particular when I when I go to, to Japan, the wines taste a little bit different. I don't know if it's me, if it's the, 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 the weather, if it's what, but they taste a little bit different. Um, I think in Japan I taste the best wines. And um, but even in in u s sometimes we open the bottles, which was incredibly good. What I taste in my cellar, in our cellar, it is more or less good wines, but more or less the same. We don't open um a crazy bottles. and I think this is the shipment, it's the the moving. it's a particular cellar where the restaurants has or something like that when you
0: say crazy bottles you mean you don't end up opening bottles that taste really different than what you're used to tasting you don't see a lot of variation in your own cellar
2: i don't see a lot of uh, variation between the bottles Yeah, it's it's more or less the same maybe one it's a little bit better but not that you say okay what what's happening or no one really bad no one really good you know it's no one really better than the others um that's that's what it's probably our cellar it's quite
0: consistent yeah yeah and when you go out sometimes you see more variation
2: yeah a little bit of variation It generally you you feel this variation when you open uh, a little bit better bottle than than you expect that's that's what you feel but uh, i never taste the wines if if they, they was not very good probably it was cork or something you know
0: and what else are you playing with in the future for Radicon? Where do you see things going? A little bit more Pinot Grigio, doing a little bit more Slatnik, and also the more the wines that your dad is more associated with. But what might happen in the future?
2: We are all the time experimenting with uh, with. We generally, when we have um, do experiments, we are doing with Rebola. We have something in, a ho- in at home already done, like a longer skin contacts, like um, twelve months. We have a, a, a part of 2002 bottle like that. But we still experiment something. We are trying to to find the, the right way and the right thing to do uh, every year, which is difficult to understand how long you can do maceration every year. Every year it's a little bit different, and every year you have to be ready to, to try something. We always try it with some small parts, uh, something different. So do you think that the maceration varies with the vintage character? Yeah. It's not fixed. This is even why I told you between two or four months, because I think that the skin contact, it's not, it's nothing. It's, it's not a recipe. Um, it we can, you can, you cannot just say a recipe and produce it. It's impossible. You have to taste. You have to taste the wines. You have to taste the tannins. You have to taste the grapes before you you pick up. We taste the grapes uh, to understand when when they are ready. We are not analyzing nothing. We just taste the grapes, taste the skin, and taste the um, the seeds. We break you break the seeds with the with the teeth, and you can feel the tannins you have inside, and you can understand if the wine is ready or not, the grape is ready or not.
0: Sasha Radhikan, he's tasting, he's thinking, he's experimenting, and he's ready to expose you to new wines. Thank you very much for being here today. Thanks for you. Sasha Radhikan of the Radhikan Winery in Friuli. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett.